This morning we're going to continue our series of uh, the 23rd Psalm, hence the shepherd's staff. We're going to learn in a couple uh, weeks about the rod and the staff. Uh, they, gave, they give away staffs often. Uh, I've never been given a rod, and you'll see why. The rod was to beat away the predators, right? Or the shepherd's staff is more for guiding and directing the sheep as the shepherd would lead them and protect them. And so uh, it's very interesting to study through all of the, you know, this, this passage is kind of a, um, one that even non-Christians or non-church people have heard and read, and it's a six-verse, you know, fairly, you know, not simple, but kind of a basic, poem or song and uh, but it's very powerful when you dig deep and so that's what I'm trying to do as we go through um, each of these uh, verses and so today let's read Psalm 23 together if you go to the next slide and uh, this is from the New American Standard Version I believe but I think it's the way most of us have memorized it so would you say it with me the Lord is my shepherd I shall not want he makes me lie down in green pastures he leads me beside quiet waters he restores my soul he guides me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death I fear no evil for you are with me your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You have anointed my head with oil and my cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Amen. I always, I grew up with mercy instead of loving kindness, but loving kindness is actually probably the more accurate word, but today we're focused on verse two, he makes me to lie down in green pastures, he leads me beside still or quiet waters. When we think about rest, it's not a um, topic or principle that is preached a lot. Um, in churches. Uh, as I was uh, preparing this message, I thought, you know, of how we all love naps and we love our rest, but often, if you ask people, I rarely come across someone that says, man, I, had a, I slept 12 hours last night and it was the best, you know, or taking a Sunday nap. Most of us would say, we need more, right? I, I'm tired, I had to get up early, or the kids were up late, or something happened, and we're always needing a rest. When I um, married my amazing wife, I didn't tell her I was going to tell this story, so she's going to be shocked too, just kidding. <laughs> okay, but um, I know kind of the, the decorating theme uh, is to make your bed every single day, right? Um, I grew up and between birth to age 25, I probably made my bed once in my life. <laughs> just kidding. Because <laughs> why? You're just going to get back in it later on. And so why do you need to make your bed 
every single day. <laughs> but when I got married, not only do we make the bed every day, but then there's pillows that are all over the bed. And so each night, when I want to go to sleep, I have to uncover 20 pillows, okay? I've tried to, <laughs> I've tried to sleep with more than one pillow, and when you lay down and roll over, you get suffocated by the other pillow that's there, and like people have body pillows, we, we don't have that, but people have body pillows that they're sleeping on, and like, man, I just need, I just need one pillow, and <laughs> so... I'm getting used to, not only do we make the bed, but now we got to make the pillows look perfect. And it's literally me and Becky that come in and see it. But anyway, but it's fun and, and we love that kind of thing and stuff. <laughs> I've been told it's fun. No. no, but when we talk about rest, maybe it's the thought of the more pillows on the bed, the more comfortable and more rest we might get. Um, but anyway, I thought I'd share that as I was preparing this week. I thought I could put, I could lay out all the pillows that we have in our house. We could put one on each pew, give you some blankets. And I know some of you already sleep during my messages anyway, not to name any names, but they're kind of sitting on the front row. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> But I thought, no, if I put pillows and blankets out, like, we, don't, we don't want to encourage that today. But Anyway, so today we're going to learn how God gives us rest. And I see the live stream is up and we want to welcome you guys. And if you're watching uh, recorded here in a few days, just be uh, thank you for joining with us and watching and uh, we pray that this message blesses you and that you're just part of the family here. We love that we're able to provide that uh, opportunity. So some of the thoughts, the, the kind of introduction thoughts, is that this verse is a continuing thought of verse 1, that as you're reading through it, it's not just a list of six things that the shepherd does for us, but it's a, it's a continuing thought, and that if... The Lord is our shepherd, and if we've submitted to him, and he's provided all that we need, and we've understood that, and we've, uh, we've gained that, we've learned that, then we understand that if we don't have a need, if, we, if we're not longing for something that, you know, out of jealousy or envy of another person that they have, or um, if we're content all of these things, this right attitude, then we're able to lie down in green pastures and not be up, running around, anxious, what's going to happen. We're going to talk about the things that sheep need in order for them to lie down in just a moment. But it's this continuing thought that if we're content with everything that we have and we realize that the shepherd has provided those things, okay, then we're not worried and anxiously moving about. We're ready to lie down. And the shepherd brings us to green pastures. And he leads us beside still, quiet waters. Oftentimes our perspective is, if I had this thing, my life would be good and I'd have everything I need and I would be content and be able to 
rest. Or if I could vacation here. If we could just get out of this situation and be able to take a break for a little while. Or if I was able to do this, I would get rest and I would get refreshed. An author, George Wood, that wrote about Psalms 23, he pointed out that life's cravings may impel us to shimmering oasis, which appear to be pools of refreshment, but instead they're dry holes of disappointment and despair. The things we view as if I had that, I would be refreshed, and they're just a a silhouette, an oasis, and when we get to those things, it's not, it's dried up. And there are holes of disappointment and and despair. But when we submit to the shepherd, to God, our Lord, and we allow him to provide for our needs, then we will find fulfillment and he will lead us to a restful place. I want to break down each part uh, of this verse. First, where it says, he makes me lie down. Does it, it does not mean that he takes his rod and knocks you out. Lay down, you're going to rest and you're knocked out. No, no. It means that the shepherd knows when we need rest. And I picture kind of like how we treat our cats and dogs when we want them to take a nap. You pick them up, lay them on their side, pet them, and go, just rest, just calm down. I picture uh, the shepherd uh, encouraging us just to take a break, just rest, just calm down. All the things in, in life that keep us going and pushing and pushing and all that, and we just need to relax. Philip Keller was a shepherd for a living, and in 1970, he wrote a book called A Shepherd's Look at Psalms 23. And as I've done uh, a lot of research on this topic, Everything always points back to this guy's book. He has a lot of very good points as he's a shepherd and he's looking at Psalms 23 and putting it into perspective for us. He has fascinating insight concerning this verse. He tells of how cautious sheep are about lying down. And they can't spring up to their feet very easily, so they won't lie down if anything is worrying them. And he tells of four conditions uh, that need to be met in in order for the sheep to feel comfortable enough to lie down. And we can see some parallels uh, in our own life. First, the sheep must be free from fear. If a sheep is afraid, they're not going to lie down. They want to be up and ready uh, to run, right, to flee. Uh, So the shepherd protects them against the predators. The shepherd doesn't sleep at night. He's going to, they're going to take shifts. He's going to protect them. I shouldn't say he's not going to sleep. They have to sleep at some point. Um, But he's not going to sleep until he knows that they're safe and protected. Okay. Second, they must be free from friction among the sheep. There's a social uh, part of sheep, and there's, uh, they know who the rambunctious sheep is of the group, who's kind of the leader of the, the sheep, or they understand if, there's, uh, if they're fighting, if there's 
friction as he uses that word. Um, the shepherd needs to put an end to this rivalry among the sheep and help them to feel that they're all loved, they're all together, there's no issues among the sheep, and then they'll feel safe enough to lie down. Third, they must be free from flies and parasites. If they are tormented by insects, they cannot lie down. Okay? Uh, one of the reasons in the, towards the end of the Psalms 23, you anoint my head with oil, um, that there's an aspect to that that keeps away the bugs from getting on them. And so they'll put oil on their, on their heads and probably on their legs where they're um, kind of exposed to the parasites and, and the insects. And it's similar um, in our life too. There's flies, not just literal flies right now. There's flies everywhere <laughs> for some reason. But um, we have these little um, annoying little things that come into our life and bother us and just bug us and keep us away from getting rest. And last, the sheep must be free from hunger. Each of these uh, four maybe little things, but they hinder the sheep from being able to rest. And we, as humans, we can relate to each one. We don't rest when we're under fear, right? And we, um, if we're in conflict with others, we're not going to rest well. Or if we have little things in life that go wrong, and when you pile up a bunch of little things, one pesky fly isn't that big a deal. But when you have three, and they're landing on your face, and like, oh, get me out of here, right? We have these things that come up, and obviously hunger, uh, hunger, if you study world hunger, is the, the one issue and thirst, I would say. It's a basic need, and when we go uh, for a long stretch without it and we're in hunger, uh, we're going to realize how upset we get mentally and spiritually and physically, right? It's a basic need that needs to be met. When, and lately, I don't know who invented the term uh, hangry, but it's kind of a new thing in the past few years, but it's very accurate. It's a lot of times um, when we're having issues with, with anger or fighting, <clears throat> the person's just hungry, <laughs> and we've reached the point where I, if I don't get food in my stomach, <laughs> we're going to blow up, and we can just feed the child, and it, uh, the, the issues kind of go away, right? So the shepherd helps us with each of these so that we can rest and so that we can lie down and eat in green pastures. Green pastures, as described here, it's new grass, young vegetation. My words would be luscious, not old, overgrown, and brown. I've walked through, not walked through, but I've been in uh, fields that just aren't taken care of and the, the grass becomes dead. And if I was a sheep or any sort of livestock, I'm not going to want to eat the crusty um, old stuff, right? We want luscious, uh, green, and young grass to eat. The sheep and the shepherd doesn't just settle for anywhere, but the shepherd wants to lead us to the best and wants the best for their sheep. 
There are bad shepherds in real life that uh, neglect, you know, the field. Maybe they stick all their sheep in one area and, okay, they eat all the grass, but then there's not time and, and the ability for new grass to grow long because you're trying, the, the sheep are just eating it as it comes up because there's nothing else good to eat and not enough grass in the field. They've eaten all the good grass. And like I said, the, the new doesn't have a chance to grow long enough because they've eaten it all. Jesus doesn't treat us like that. He is the good shepherd and he has the best pastures for us. And he leads us to those and uh, brings us to the, the ability to lie down um, in a comfortable spot with lots of good food, right? And he leads us to still waters. There is a fascinating point um, in this term, still waters. The Greek word that actually would have been Hebrew, the Hebrew word uh, that would have been used here is literally he leads us to a resting place, a place that we can uh, lounge out, that we can relax, and we can um, not just sit and be calm for five minutes, but a place that we can sleep well, that we can stretch out, okay? Most animals, uh, sheep included, aren't going to drink, will not drink from rushing rivers or even a fast-running stream. They need a quiet stream. Uh, they'll, they'll search for the pools of water that have come off maybe the rushing stream or, or whatever, right? They want the still, they want the quiet, they want the calm. And it's there that they'll feel safe enough to relax. When you think of peaceful serenity scenes, if you look at paintings or drawings of that, you never see a rushing river, you know. Uh, you see a quiet, a calm, right? The good shepherd leads his sheep to these places of rest where we can pause and we can get filled with food and we can get refreshed with water. Rest is extremely important. And we see in this psalm that God gives us rest. In Jesus' life on earth, he exemplified uh, our need uh, for us to get rest. Once his ministry began, remember he was like 30 years old. We don't know a whole lot about how he lived his life before that, but he wasn't famous yet. Uh, he hasn't done the ministry side of his life. But once his ministry, once that part of his life began, crowds of people were constantly around him. Everywhere it goes, as you read, and we will as we go through Mark, uh, starting on Wednesdays, right? You're going to find that everywhere he would go, a crowd would recognize him and spread the word and thousands of people would be there, okay? He would intentionally find ways to get away by himself and take the disciples with him, trying to teach them this principle of rest one such moment is found in Mark chapter 6, and Jesus had commissioned the 12 disciples to go out two by two. Uh, he gives them authority. He gives them the teachings. You're going to go and preach to others. You're going to pray for them. And we don't know how long they were gone. We don't know exactly the timeline, um, but they've come back, and um, they've 
reported back to Jesus all that had happened, all the things that had been done. Okay? And uh, verse 31 of Mark 6 says, Then, because so many people were coming and going, that they did not even have a chance to eat. Whoa. <laughs> okay? Jesus said to them, Come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. So they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place, and they went tubing, and they went fishing. It doesn't say that, but I'm sure, like when we try to relax, I don't know who invented the tube. I don't know if they had sailboats fast enough to pull a tube uh, behind them, or with 12 people rowing, maybe they got some good wakes going on. But anyway, we don't, actually don't know how much rest that they got in this particular story. The very next verse says that the crowds ran around the sea and spread the word. They're going this way. And the Bible says that uh, when they made it to the other side, the crowds met them there. And so Jesus is saying, here, we need to go rest. And as soon as they land there, they can't rest. Another time, uh, the disciples were in a boat probably crossing the same uh, body of water uh, interesting thing when you look at all the places that Jesus went and it's actually a kind of a small area of land and there's only a couple of bodies of water with you know the Jordan River there and so there wasn't a lot of places just wanted to throw that tidbit out there but the disciples are in a boat with Jesus and Jesus falls asleep while he's on this boat so maybe in our previous story they got rest as their boat sailed across the the lake. But then in this, this moment, Jesus is asleep and a storm comes up and the disciples are terrified. I don't know what we're going to do. We're going to capsize in a moment. Jesus, what should we do? And he's back there snoring and they have to wake him up. He calms the sea and they go on. But the important part is that he was taking the time to rest. Another Another example was several times that Jesus got away from the crowds and went to a secluded place to pray. We don't use the word rest there, but if he's alone with the Lord and he's praying and sometimes would take some of the disciples with him and they would pray, I would consider that rest. And actually one of those times is kind of a kind of funny but kind of frustrating moment Two, is that Jesus is asking his disciples to pray with him and he moves, I don't know, 20, 30 feet away and they fall asleep praying and he goes back and wake, wake up, just watch with me for a moment, pray with me for a moment. And he goes away and he comes back and they're asleep again. They're getting, they're getting rest even though they're also not praying. But there's this balance, right? They... Um, I wanted to point out, as I was uh, looking for ways, looking for places in the Bible where Jesus rested, and we can just see an exact perfect example of this principle, I, I found, as you found this morning in my three or four stories, okay, that they're human. The disciples are fully human. Jesus is fully human, coming down to earth as God. And 
uh, we should be encouraged that even our best attempts at rest or best attempts at other things, when we put great goals in our mind, uh, even Jesus uh, got interrupted. Even Even the disciples were interrupted. These imperfect examples of times that they desired something amazing, that they would spend time in rest, in prayer with Jesus, right? This should give us hope. Uh, they're, sorry, I skipped a part. These imperfect examples of times they desired something amazing but were interrupted should give us hope that when we set our eyes on a powerful encounter with God, and it doesn't happen exactly how we wished it would or what we were hoping it would be. Maybe we planned out a, a great uh, moment, a great time with the Lord, and we're going to do devotions as a family, or we're going to spend time in prayer as, as a couple, or uh, we're going to go off by ourselves and just have, uh, go for a drive and have some worship time, and something happens and we get interrupted Don't take that as you have failed completely, okay? Jesus was interrupted multiple times when he was trying to rest. Don't give up just because of that, these little interruptions. So our main point today is that rest is vital to our body, our mind, and our soul. The passage of scripture that I want us to take a deeper look at, if you would turn into Matthew chapter 11, Matthew chapter 11, a little context as you turn there, Matthew is the first book in the New Testament, further back than halfway through but, um, the Bible, but you should be able to find it there. Jesus has just finished a conversation with John the Baptist's disciples. Uh, John wanted to know, is Jesus the Messiah? What's happening? And so John is in prison, and he sends his disciples to ask Jesus uh, if he's the coming the Messiah. And he has a great conversation with John's disciples, and they leave, they go back. Okay, He then is kind of critical of the Pharisees who are there and they're not accepting John's uh, message and they're, they're not accepting Jesus either. And instead they've claimed that uh, these two are demonic and they're sinners. And he, he kind of ends the conversation with these verses that actually talk about rest. Matthew eleven twenty eight. He says, come to me, All you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Forgive me, we're going to change animals that were uh, using an analogy. Sheep were terrible at pulling uh, any sort of farm equipment. So now we're to the, to the bulls and okay, the bigger, stronger animals, and they would place yokes on them to work together to pull the plow or whatever uh, equipment that they were doing. And so Jesus is using the yoke uh, as an example Do you know that what we need rest from the most 
is not physical labor. I have nothing to uh, back that up with, none of my research, but that's my opinion, I guess. That we feel so much that, man, we're just tired, we're worn out, and we've put in an 8, 12-hour, whatever, 10-hour day. Maybe we've had a long week of work, and we're just, man, we're just uh, worn out, and we need rest. That's probably not uh, actually what's wearing on us. We could, there's been times that, um, that I've worked really hard, and then I've gotten good rest, and I still wake up tired, and it's the stress of the, the job that we're doing, or it's the emotional stress of things that are happening with our family, or it's the spiritual stress of uh, something that's weighing heavy on us, both maybe sin I'm dealing with, or sin that uh, someone else is dealing with that affects my life, okay, it's it's the, the mental stress of big decisions having to be made or, or even a lot of little decisions when we have a lot of little things that come up. And are like, man, I, I can't take five decisions to be made all at the same time. Just, just give me a second, right? A lot, I would say that um, what we need rest from the most is not our physical labor, but it's our uh, mental stress, spiritual stress, emotional stress. Jesus, in this passage, is referring to all of that. In this exact moment that he's using this phrase and and quotes these verses, in that moment, he's speaking to the religious leaders and their followers about how heavy the weight is of following the old law of Moses. It is... um, It's what God set in order for the way that they should live. So I'm not being critical of that law and saying like it was bad for them to follow it. But it had gotten to a point where they were so tedious about how they they were supposed to follow this law. And if you did this or didn't do that, and you're the worst sinner ever. Jesus is showing up in their lives and bringing a new covenant. We're in a Uh, celebrate that and honor that in communion in just a moment, okay? But the leaders had missed the point of this relationship with God. A couple of quick examples. Uh, Just in the verses following in Matthew chapter 12, the disciples are walking through a field and it says they're hungry, so they're picking the grain and they're eating it. And the Pharisees, the religious leaders say, "What, what are you doing? You can't pull grain on the harvest on the Sabbath day. You can't harvest your grain on the Sabbath. Why are you allowing your disciples to do so? Another time, Jesus heals someone on the Sabbath. It happened to be on the Sabbath day. And they question him for it. So people are symbolically carrying this heavy yoke, this burden of the law that's heavy and weighing them down, and it's getting so hard to watch every little single thing and abide by every uh, single thing, and these um, religious leaders are probably more condemning than they are encouraging, right? And Jesus is coming in to the picture to bring a new covenant. These people, uh, Jesus is observing that their souls need rest 
Jesus comes along and many people recognize him as the Messiah and they're following him and they love him, right? And in this conversation that he's having with them, come, lay, you know, come to me all who are weary, take my yoke upon you, take off the yoke that you've been burdened by and take on my yoke. I picture him full of compassion and full of concern for them. And he encourages them to take off that burdensome yoke and take on his yoke and learn from him. What are they going to learn? They're going to learn the new covenant. They're going to learn him as as a savior. He's not coming to abolish and wipe out the old law, but actually coming to fulfill it. And he's teaching that they need to abide in his schoolhouse, if you may. Learn under him, study his word, dwell on it, converse with him. His yoke is easy and light. In Jesus, there's freedom from sin. No longer a weight of the sin, all right? No longer the weight of the condemnation, right? We still uh, need to carry a yoke, but it's Jesus' yoke that we're following. We're following his commands and how we live out our faith. It's not that we have no yoke and we can do whatever we want, okay? But we're carrying a yoke that's easy and that's full of grace. Where the old yoke left us to try to make it on our own and try to live right all by ourselves. His commands are all in our favor. And the burden is light, meaning the result of taking Jesus' yoke upon us is a blessed life. God's presence is with us. He sends his Holy Spirit to help us in our everyday living. We may suffer because of the choices that we make, or we may be looked down upon for the things that maybe we're making commitments to or taking a stand for. But choosing to live for Jesus will result in so many more blessings. And one of those blessings is rest for the soul. Rest for our soul is the best rest. Physical rest is good, but mental, emotional, spiritual rest is better. How do we do that? How do we do that? By taking off that yoke and putting on Jesus' yoke. As I was praying uh, for this week and thinking through, I don't even know which day it was, but these thoughts came to my mind. God's saying that several of us here have yokes that we carry. Maybe they're religious yokes like uh, kind of what Jesus was speaking to, but maybe you were raised thinking a certain way about God. And maybe you were raised thinking or taught a, a certain way and, and you're holding on to all these things that you could never live up to. And all the ways that you've learned about God or the things that you've uh, been taught about Him, they're weighing down on your life. Maybe you're holding your past against you and you're not going to let it go. 
You can't, you can't let that go. Maybe it's you're not able to or want to or don't think you can accept forgiveness and a changed life. And you're holding on to that yoke. You need to take that off and understand that Jesus gives freedom for your sins. The old way kind of uh, covered their sins. They would have ways of sacrifice and, and giving up their sin that would cause it to be covered. A man, when Jesus came and he died on the cross for our sins, it wiped all of our sins away. All of our sins. I've had a, a few conversations with some of you on this note. Man, Jesus doesn't hold us. He doesn't condemn us any longer for those things that we've done in the past when we are, we're made new in him. And man, we're set free from those things. That sin doesn't, uh, doesn't haunt us anymore. That sin doesn't weigh on us anymore. We, we've already paid uh, the penalty for it, the consequences for it. Jesus paid uh, the price for it, for our forgiveness, for our freedom. We need to take Jesus' yoke upon us, his grace his mercy, his peace, his love. The second one is, I feel like a lot of you are carrying a yoke uh, from your family. Maybe a burden that a member of your family is living a certain way or something has happened to them and you feel like, man, I, I've, I've got to take that burden on for them and you have absolutely no control over what's happening in their life. You have uh, no way of affecting uh, that situation or changing that situation because it's on them and it's the choices that they're making, but you're carrying that burden, you're carrying that yoke and it's making you weary and tired and worn out and you're trying to keep pushing on. Sure, there's things that you, we can pray for our family and we can encourage, we can help them, yes, but and you're carrying the burden of their wrong choices or maybe the way they're living and thinking, man, it's my fault. I did this or we did that. And we, uh, you can take that yoke off and take on the yoke of Jesus. Ushers, if you would come forward and prepare for communion. And Angie, if you could come and, and just play softly. I came across a, a story about a sheep, and I actually remember hearing about it. It was several years back now, but the sheep was named Shrek, and it was uh, uh, in New Zealand, and this sheep got out of its pen. When all the other sheep were going to uh, get sheared one day, I don't know, maybe the sheep didn't want to get sheared that day. And he went the other way. And he went into a cave and kind of hid out in this cave. There are so many, so many thousands of sheep in this flock that the, the shepherd <clears throat> couldn't find that. Maybe, maybe accounted for it, didn't realize it was gone. Six years go by that this sheep has been hiding out in a cave and so he had 75 pounds of wool. The wool had grown and grown and grown. There was such an interest in Shrek's return that the owner kept him in a pen for weeks so that reporters and television stations could broadcast 
the amazing return of the lost sheep. And then on live television, they uh, had a world champion shearer come and shave off the six years of matted wool. As the shearer worked, he laid Shrek on his side with a foot of wool as his bed. How much of, of Shrek's story is like our story? We quoted this verse before that we all, like sheep, have gone astray. And when we've gone astray like Shrek, he's trying to find a better way. He wants to do things on his own. <clears throat> he wants to find greener pastures, maybe. And, and all these years of woe would be kind of like all the sin in our life when we've gone astray, right? And, and our shearer, Jesus, he died on the cross to take all of that away. And as they sheared uh, Shrek's wool away, the six years of growth of what he had done, the, the, uh, there was uh, stuff growing in his wool. He had sores and issues with some of his skin where things had been growing in that. And the shepherd comes along and cleans him up and brings him back to the flock, feeds him well, and it's a good ending to the story. This is what I want us to remember as we take this communion this morning is that we've all strayed away at one point or another and praise God, we're part of the family of God. And as we take communion this morning, it's not a closed communion only to members, 